welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have applied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Hey, everybody. I have a very, very special guest today on Play by Players. Um, he's not someone that uh, has a ton of stuff out there in terms of podcasts and interviews, so I feel really special to have him on, uh, not only because he was uh, a guy that I competed against, I actually was a teammate of his, but his resume speaks for itself. He's played over 500 professional games between regular season and playoffs, the U.S. Open Cup, CONCACAF Champions League, Super Liga, and the Campionis Cup. He scored almost 50 goals and had over 25 assists in his career. Uh, he's played close to 100 games for four different MLS teams. He's a two-time MLS Cup champion, a two-time Open Cup champion, a Super League champion, a Campionis champion, an MLS All-Star. He's a multiple team captain. He is a longtime MLSPA executive board member and representative. Please welcome to the podcast, Jeff Lorinowitz. How's it going, Bob? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. What what is uh, what does it mean when you hear all that? Is it is it just kind of long winded, you know, or, or are you proud of that, or or is it kind of you don't want to you want to be humble or what? I'm used to it being long winded with you, Bob. So I, you know, I just that's that just kind of comes with it. No, I mean it's it's cool. It's great. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I I ran some numbers today. I won't bore you with them. Um, but I, I've worked out that you, you know, you are one of the real Ironmen of MLS. Um, you know, you're top of the record books in terms of games played, but the real special one is minutes played, uh, meaning not only did you play in a lot of games, but uh, you played for the whole game. Um, and I, I think it's north of 40,000 uh, minutes across all competitions. Uh, I just have a question. Now that you're retired, you were always a really fit guy, but how, how's the body holding up? It's holding up fine because I don't test it anymore. <laughs> so so many guys say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm itching to get back out on the field. And I don't know. I, I was looking up like local softball teams recently. You know, like I need to get my competitive fix, but I don't need to run anymore. I feel like I've done enough running. So um, body, I, I feel pretty good. Honestly, I've, uh, I was lucky in my career to kind of skirt by without any major major uh mishaps so well yeah no it's uh, you were always you were always fit and uh, i was surprised when we became teammates you had a a, a pretty killer six-pack so i'm hoping you still <laughs> i'm hoping you're still sporting the six-pack i, I went i went from double i went from double days to double chins so that's kind of <laughs> what i'm working on no bob right you're exactly the same but, <laughs> well uh well let's talk about you um we talked about kind of the where it ended all the accolades but let's start back at the beginning you were born in california uh and i and i like to say you were raised on the streets of philly uh <laughs> westchester to be exact um talk to me a little bit about uh being from philly you know it, it has a you know there's a couple guys in this league that that have the the tough guy men, you know uh, name to them that that come from the, the Philadelphia area. It's a hardworking mentality. The the I'll punch you in your face kind of mentality. What, what's it like, you know, coming from Philly and, and being a pro athlete? 
Yeah, I I mean I think you're I think you're pretty right. I, I think growing up there it was always very competitive, um, always kind of a challenge. I think it was quietly a soccer town as well. Um, it was a it was a basketball town too. I think it still is, but there is you know um, a lot of European immigrants through the years have built up kind of the soccer culture there and. Um, yeah, I think soccer was a pretty big sport. You know, I know for me growing up there and, and playing club soccer, but also my high school team, high school soccer was pretty big. And, you know, long before the union existed, it was uh, about high school soccer, really. You know, what, what high school soccer teams did you go and watch and did you want to play for? And, um, yeah, that, that was kind of how I really kind of, looked up to those types of players. Those were the, the players that sort of molded the the player that I wanted to be. I never really thought past being on a good high school team, really. Okay. And and you come from a family, uh, you have some athletics in, in your family. I think your sister played college soccer and uh, I, I saw your dad was a track star. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. He, he ran track in, in college, track and cross country. Okay. And uh, no track for you though, huh? No, no, no. I, uh, well, you know, I didn't get any of the speed genes. So, um, <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough for the shot put. So no, I didn't, I didn't do track and field. <laughs> All right. Well, I know, um, you know, I, I saw that your dad was a, was a soccer coach. I think he coached basketball and golf as well. Um, and he was a school teacher. So, you know, that's always, you know, that's kind of my, my end goal is I, I want to teach and coach the high school soccer team at some point in my life. So I thought that was really cool. Um, did, you know, you played all three of those in, in, in high school. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, um, you know, I grew up a gym rep. My dad was a basketball coach and I lived in gymnasiums from like six years old until 18. Um, you know, I, I loved basketball. That was, that was my game. I followed my dad around everywhere. He coached soccer later from learning from me and my sister, but really he was a basketball guy. So, um, yeah, I think it was, you know, you talk about Philadelphia and you talk about high school sports, you know, Hoop Dreams is like my favorite movie because every time I put it on, I feel like I'm going back and watching my childhood. You know, being inside of high school gymnasiums was was me. That was like my life. And um yeah, that was just kind of following my dad and, and playing a bunch of sports. You know, I didn't really focus on soccer until I was a teenager, like middle teenager. Um, but yeah, I always, I always enjoyed playing other sports. Like if I just had to play soccer all year round, I wouldn't have been happy. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned six earlier. I, I think you got your start with soccer and uh, something called soccer dinos. Is that, is that accurate? <laughs> it's close. My first, one of my first soccer teams was the dinosaurs. So the dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we were very good and well-named, so it was, it was exciting way to start my career. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm familiar with your son and his goal celebrations. Did he get that from, from you and, and, and soccer dinos or dino scores? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the age, you know, when you're just kind of goofing around with your buddies and it's just something new, but yeah, I started when I was like five, five years old. Okay. And then you can move on, you go to the Westchester Knights and then, uh, you know, the, the team I'm familiar with, uh, you know, we're the same age or at least the same birth year. Uh, was the FC Delco and Alan Metzger's group, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about you. We kind of see a theme 
uh, starting in club soccer. You win two national championships. Uh, you're the captain of the team. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what position did you play when you played club soccer and, and what was it like as a, having a lot of success at a young age? Yeah. Uh, you know, I played Westchester Knights. That was the team. That was like my little town team. And I was just really lucky that we had a, a great coach, great coaching staff. And so when I was 10, 12 years old, I was taught the game pretty well, but my dream was to play for FC Delco. Um, it was before academies and before all of that stuff, like the, these were teams that were competing for national championships. And that was like our MLS cup, our champions league, when we were 15 years old to go to nationals, to go to regionals, you know, was, was the, the main thing. Um, and yeah, so when I turned 15, I went and tried out for FC Delco and, and made the team and, and finished out my youth career there um, for that coach, Alan Mesker, you mentioned. And it's funny, you ask about positions because I was always an attacking player and um, Alan Mesker was looking at me and he was like, he's got something, but I can't figure it out. <laughs> and... <laughs> He was like, well, I just, I finally realized you were just playing out of position. And he kind of, he labeled me like a midfield destroyer. So he put me in, um, into midfield. And I think back when he became our coach, um, like in the late nineties, Portugal was very good around like 2000 and they were playing a four, two, three, one formation. And not a lot of teams were playing that back then, but he kind of had us playing that. And I was one of the two kind of holding midfielders and, and I think that kind of like kicked off my career um, when he made that switch for me. Okay. Well, so it sounds like, you know, I, I know you played a little bit of forward in college. I'm getting ahead of it. You know, talk to me a little bit about you. You hinted at high school soccer being really big. You went to, uh, is it Chess, Spring Hill Chestnut Hill Academy? Yeah. Chestnut Hill. That. It's a, that's, that's a mouthful. Yeah. Chestnut <laughs> Hill Academy. Um you know, and then I always I always look up to see if you made the notable alums, uh, and you're on there. Congrats! Uh, that's, a, that's a big accomplishment. I'm still not on my high school, so that's kind of why I'm bitter. Um, but I saw Dan Gargan, another MLS name, on there. Yeah. Uh, Monet Davis, although I think when you were there, it was all boys, and they 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 switched to girls, uh, allowing girls at the school eventually. Uh, well, so high school, you had some success. You win two championships uh, there as well, as we see two championships as a theme with you. Um, you were a captain, uh, captain there as well. Were you, I, I read some stuff that you were, you really were worried about making the team, um, you know, but then you go on to be the captain and y'all wait, y'all have a lot of success. Um, you know, talk to me about, uh, you know, what were you thinking at that point? Just making the team was an excitement or, or were you looking ahead at that point as well? No, I, like I said, you know, I always wanted to play high school. I, I made the team as a freshman, um, but I never played and I was a swing player. So I, I would, I would play with the JV team that freshman year, um, sophomore year. I was, I was on the team, but again, I didn't really play. Um, you talk about Philadelphia and kind of <laughs> that mentality. I remember one time we got in like a rumble, you know, like a fight that breaks out in a high school game. And, um, you know, I wasn't really playing and I knew guys on the other team 
and the fight broke out and I just kind of sat on the bench. Like, I don't really feel like I'm on this team. So I wasn't really even playing until my junior year. Um, and even when I got to my senior year, like we had nine, nine guys, my senior class go division one. So we were like a really good kind of high school team. And, um, yeah, I didn't really kind of, I was a late bloomer, you know, like I didn't, I didn't really, um, I wasn't the top recruit and, um, but I was a part of a good team and I think it was always kind of, it was always good to be on a good team. And, and, uh, I, I made my way late in my career. Well, you bring up uh, recruiting. How did you end up, you end up going to Brown and Ivy league. Uh, how did you end up, you know, going there? Was it more of a, an education decision or, uh, you know, a combination with soccer. I, I mean, I don't think of a lot of guys going to the Ivy League to to transition to professional soccer. So was that not really on your mind when you made that decision? Well, I, I got recruited as a funny story. I mean, you mentioned Dan Gargan. We were in regionals and all that stuff. You know, regionals was when you got noticed. And my, the coach of Brown was at regionals looking at other players, and one of them was Dan Gargan. And he just happened to walk to the field where I was playing and he noticed in a game where I played a bunch of different positions and he was like, Oh, well that could be useful. And that's kind of how I got on his radar. Um, and it was very late in the recruiting process, but I was always trying to go to the best school that had a good soccer program. And when Brown came along um, in 2000, which was the year before I went there, they went to the final eight of the NCAA tournament, which for a school like Brown is, is a pretty big accomplishment. And Corey Gibbs was a senior. And um, so when he started recruiting me, it was just like, if this guy, if I can get in, I'm going there. And and that's just kind of how it went. And, and something I didn't know about you uh, before this was, when did you go to Sweden? Was this before college or during college? No, that was during college. So, okay. Yeah, my my the coach at Brown, Mike Noonan, um, he played it professionally in Sweden after his college career and still had contacts there. So it was in between junior and senior year I went over to Sweden. Okay, and where what how you spent some time there though? It wasn't just like a little weekend trip. It was. Yeah, no, it was a summer. It was a summer. So um, I went to Malmo FF and spent like two months there. And you like that or you, you seem to be you don't have a lot to say about it. So is, it, is that not a good thing? Well, it was great. No, it, it was great. I, after my junior year of college, I was like, let's see if I can do something with this, you know. And my coach was basically like, well, if if you want to go to the pro level, you should see what those locker rooms are like and see what the next level is. Um and so he would always set me up to train with the Rebs in the summer, but th that summer he set me up to go to Sweden and it was amazing. It was, it, it, if I could have stayed, I would have. Um, but, you know, I was always going to finish my college career. Yeah. And, and we kind of jumped ahead, you know, you, you had some success at, uh, at Brown, you again, two Ivy league titles, you were two time all American, uh, you talked about you started off you talked about your coach scouting you in different positions um I know you started off as a forward and then had to play defender um you know which is kind of ironic with where you end up you know playing in the middle <laughs> um as a pro but um did you did you kind of just you know for I'm getting a little ahead of this but for a guy that's played all over the field 
at this point, do you have a preferred position or you just, you just want to be on the field and help the team? Yeah, no, I think it was just about get on the field, you know, find, find a way to, to be a part of a winning team. That, that was really it. Um, and yeah, it's funny. I've told this story before, but for my fir- first couple of years at Brown, you know, it was like a forward from Westchester, Pennsylvania. And then I'd run out on the field and play center back. So, you know, <laughs> it, it was like, <laughs> I said he recruited me cause he saw me playing different positions. And the story was preseason of my freshman year. So I was only there for about a week, two weeks. Um, the senior or like upperclassman was suspended for something he did the year before. So the first game of the season, he was suspended. The guy that was supposed to play center back to fill in for him got injured. And um, he, the coach came up to me and said, do you want to play center back? Can you play center back? And so I said, yeah. And he just kind of put me in and I, I filled in. Yeah. That's same with me. I, my center back showed up his senior year, uh, 35 pounds overweight. So I had to play center back. No, uh, I, I was just, um, you know, you, you talked about your, your junior year. I think you had, that was your, you know, you had a real coming out party and then, um, you know, you go to, looks like you go to Sweden, you, you build the confidence, you come back, you finish your senior year. And then the, uh, the world's greatest thing that happened to MLS was the reserve league. Uh, so that we had the regular draft and then the supplemental draft, and you were the last pick taken by the New England Revolution and the 2005 supplemental draft. What what were you thinking? I know you said you trained with them. Did you have an idea that you were going to be picked by them? No, I didn't. I mean, I I trained with them junior year or sophomore year, junior year. Um, so I'd known Stevie and. Uh, Stevie knew Mike Noonan, the coach at Brown, pretty well. And, um, yeah, I don't think Stevie wanted me. I think that it was a case of, well, I've got to fill these roster spots because we've got 10 reserve league camps. And, um, you know, the league's got these developmental deals, and we could just chuck it at one of these kids and he can see what happens. And I think that the Mike Noonan had to do some convincing just take him, you know, Stevie, take him. And Stevie did. And, and luckily I tell people all the time, like my career is based on the expansion of the league that year, no doubt. Yeah, I, I did it. I got added to the supplemental, but I didn't get picked. So same thing. Like if it weren't for that reserve league, I signed the last developmental contract for DC United. So same thing. Like, I, I don't even know if I would have gotten an opportunity if it weren't for that. Um, yeah. So kind of similar paths, but uh, the next part's a little different. What, what, uh, talk to me a little bit about the, the locker room in New England. I, I think from the guys I know, you know, I was friends with Jamie Holmes. Um, you know, I know Parky. Um, I know some of the guys in that locker room. It's a, I think that was probably one of the tougher locker rooms to be a rookie in, um, you know, if not the toughest, mainly because of Stevie Nichols and also because of guys like Taylor, um, who, you know, once you know him, you know, you see guys seem to love him, but, um, you know, he's, he's not shy that he's, he was really hard on young guys. You know, what was it like as a, as a young guy, not seeing a lot of time in your first year with that locker room? It it was, um, it was trial by fire. You know, it was, it was make or break. You know, talk about kind of growing up in Philadelphia and like, if you, 
if you weren't okay with getting your, you know, what's busted, then you weren't going to make it kind of back then. And in new England, it was, it was the same. And, and in a way, I think like that growing up in that environment helped me because it was just like, I've seen these guys before. I know, I know what Jay heaps, I know a Jay heaps. I know a Taylor Twelman. I know a Pat Noonan and like, I know what they're about. The problem was I wasn't good enough then, but I, um, I never really let the nonsense get to me because I, I was used to it. And you talk about like Jamie Holmes and Ryan Latham and all these guys I got drafted with TJ Tommaso, um, Parkey. It, it didn't, it didn't affect Parkey because he was rookie of the year, but you know, for the other guys, the supplemental guys, it was like, if you went home and you weren't like, you know, four letter word them, then you weren't going to kind of make it. And I think that's just, I think that's the only real advantage I have because I wasn't better than those guys, Latham and Jamie, like they played more than me that year. Um, but I was just, I, I just kind of fit into that environment um, probably better than they did. Yeah. And, and your first year was, um, you know, we had the reserve league, I, you know, you played games there, you played, I think a, a whopping one minute, um, you know, in the 2005 season, but really the, uh, you know, the success comes later. Um, did you get loaned out to uh, the, the phantoms at that point, or was that, you know, in the years to come? No, that was that, that was my rookie year. So it wasn't, you know, it all changed with NASL and USL championship back then it was USL one, USL two, and the new Hampshire phantoms, was in usl2 and so it was you know two levels below mls and um yeah they loaned me out and i remember negotiating with the coach like i want this much a game and he was like okay fine um <laughs> so and and honestly what i was getting per game from them was like what i was getting from the mls per week so it was like I guess I'll get loaned out. Um, but those trips were brutal and those games were tough. And, you know, we were lived in, I lived in Rhode Island. I was driving to New Hampshire, like two or three hours to like go and play this game and then come back home. You know, it was all on your own dime and it was all just, it, it was honestly just a test. Like how bad did you want it? And were you willing to, to go and do these things? Well, um, you know, speaking of uh, notable alums, you are the uh, the headliner on that list uh, for the Phantoms in terms of guys that have played there. Um, <laughs> there's one other guy. I'll bring him up. I'll bring him up later. But, um, you know, then the next year, I know um, you really find your rhythm. And I think that the team struggled a little bit. I think it was the Dallas game where they throw you on, you know, probably one of those wholesale halftime. Like, this is, let's just see what's different. And, uh you know, as we always say, right, it just takes one one opportunity and, and, and it's yours. And, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about becoming a, a regular with some of those great names of players that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I I, um, I don't know. I mean, my rookie year, like I said, I kind of held my own or, or I stood up to the guys a little bit, but I wasn't really good enough when they gave me the contract. And again, it was like a, a supplemental, but senior developmental um contract for the second year i just said to myself look you're either going to do it or you're not and this is going to be the year 
And instead of like saying sorry if I stepped on somebody's toe in practice or like, all right, this is Taylor's drill. Like I'm going to step back, which is kind of how you approach it sometimes. I just said, screw these guys. And um, in a way, like that's what earns their respect. And in a way, not in a way, it was true. It just, it, it made me play better because I always kind of had it in me and I'm sure you were the same, but you just had to kind of get over that mental block, that hurdle. And I did that in the second year. And I think you and I are the same in that all I need is kind of one person to say, you can't do it. And then I'm just going to go out and, and absolutely demolish it. And that, that Dallas game you were talking about, um, we had injuries and we weren't really like fully fit and maybe some guys were away. I don't really remember, but it was a mixed lineup and they played somebody else and not me. And I was thinking before the game, this is going to be my game and they didn't play me. And then we were down four, nothing at halftime. And I remember Carlos Ruiz scored from like 40 yards on Matt Reese. It's like, it wasn't even like a chip. He just like saw Matt off his line and just lasered it in the back of the net. But, um, at, you were right at halftime Stevie just looked and he said Jeff you're on and he put me on for somebody else and I mean I think we ended up losing for nothing um so it was like the second half was zero zero but I was like sharp and determined and I'll never forget Paul Mariner rest his soul who just passed away he came up to me at practice after that game and he said um oh my god Jeff I looked at your numbers like you were fantastic the other night and that was really it. That was kind of the catalyst for me. Well, no, and then, and you know that one. It was a a heck of a team, right? I mean, you you guys were a great team, but you know you now are uh, a regular next to one of my favorite midfielders at MLS and Shaw Ree, um, who you know if you look at anything Shaw Ree has to say about you, he, he seems like he loves you to death. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what it was like to you, you played with some really good holding midfielders or, or not just holding, but central midfielders. T talk to me what it was like to learn from that guy. Yeah, it was it was great um, for a lot of reasons. I think tactically, like Stevie drafted Parky and he immediately was like, Parky reads the game so well. And I'm just going to stick him back there and he's going to read the game. So we played three in the back. And I don't think the Rebs really did before Parky got there. And so the setup was basically three, five, two, which meant that it was like two holding midfielders in a sense in front of the back three and forever. It was Daniel Hernandez, but you know, he had some injuries and there was an opening and I got to play with Shaori. And I just told myself, look, this guy's the best 11 do whatever you can to make him better. And, and without me ever saying that, Shaori just knew that. And he, he called me Red, and he would say, Red, go over there, Red, run up there, run, track that guy, do this, do that, and I did it. And that was it. And um, like I said, he was, he was a best 11 guy. He was a huge character. I think that probably every player in the league was afraid of him, including referees. And I was just – like, I'm going to do whatever I can do to try and make this guy better by lightening the load of the things that he doesn't want to do. Yeah, no, and, and you guys had a lot of success there. Um, you know, I wasn't afraid of Shawri, but I knew Shawri would break my leg if uh, if I didn't get out of his way. On a, and I don't think he even wanted to break my leg. It's just he was big enough to 
there's some guys that are just big enough to do it. He was one of them. Um, but you guys had a ton of success. You won an open cup. Um, you beat, uh, you beat a Houston team and my team and, uh, winning the Superliga, which I think was the biggest bonus MLS ever gotten. Um, you, you won the Eastern conference finals three times. You go to, um, MLS cup. You, you can't, you know, you, you can't get it done there, but you know, talk to me about what made that team so special. The characters, you know, I, I think that Stevie, Stevie kept it simple as a coach. Steve and Paul were like the perfect kind of duo off of each other. Um, but what they had was an eye for talent and they could just pick guys out and they put us all together. And it was a bit of like um, a bunch of, I don't know, like junkyard dogs, like a, a bunch of guys that were ready to bite each other all the time. <laughs> But Stevie's Stevie's approach was just like, you guys will sort it out. You know, I, I'll put you guys on the field. And since you're all wearing the same jerseys, I think you guys are going to figure it out. And that, that was the, that was the atmosphere. It was just like, everybody wanted to win. Every single guy wanted to win. And on Tuesday, like Jay might be tackling the hell out of Shalri. <laughs> Shalri might, punch somebody but when saturday came it was just like those guys were ready to fight and for each other and that and that was that was the team and that's why we were able to kind of make it through all those games unfortunately we never won the cup but um it was i mean i feel like i said lucky that the league expanded that rookie year um but i was so lucky i landed on that team because i saw so many friends that just you end up going to the wrong team and that's your career. You know, um, I learned from, from some really great guys. And then talk to me, you know, uh, talk to me a little bit about getting traded to Colorado. Uh, cause you know, I, I just kind of, you were like the guy I thought, you know, one of the, one of the staples in, in the middle there. And then, you know, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere from my perspective, but you know, what, what was going on behind the scenes? How, how did you find out about it? And, you know, is it something you wanted or, or not? Yeah, I mean this this plays well into like CBA stuff, but I was I was out of contract. So 2009 was my last year. And um Mike Burns was the the GM at the time and and we had negotiated and talked and talked and talked and he presented a contract and I said, "Okay, I'll do it." And it was a terrible contract. If I told you what they <laughs> if, if I told you what they offered me, you know, um, you would be embarrassed. But I told him I would do it, and and then I woke up one morning. It might have just been the next morning, and it was just a moment of clarity. And I said, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And so I didn't sign the deal. And you know, rightfully so. Mike was upset, and I I went against my word. But um, it was the right decision. And so when 2009 ended. I just said, it's time for me to go and try something else. And Paul Mariner had left. Stevie was kind of on his own. I saw Steve Ralston, who was like the hero, you know, the Iron Man before all Iron Men. And I saw how the club kind of treated him. And I said, if they're doing that to him, what the heck are they going to do to me? And I said, I got to try something else. And at the end of 2009, I walked into Stevie's office and it was the hardest thing I ever had to do. And I just said, I'm not coming back. And so my agent and I were looking overseas 
but for the last six months of 2009, I was playing with a knee injury and Bob Bradley called me into camp. So I get the call, you know, that call you get in December, December 5th, whatever it is. And it's Pam Perkins. And she's saying, Jeff, you got invited to the January camp. I'm going, Oh my God. And I'm like, this is perfect. Like, uh, you know, now I can get in the national team. I maybe move overseas and I'm, but I'm hiding this knee injury. And I showed up to camp on the first day of training and we were doing a shooting drill. I'll never forget it. Home Depot center, LA galaxy. And um, Ivan looked at me and he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I just had to tell him, I was like, my knee, it's screwed up. And, um, and so I had to get surgery and Bob was really gracious. Let me stay in camp. I got surgery from Mandelbaum out there. And, and so when my national team career started, it ended on the same day. And so a move overseas, as you know, in the middle of the year with the MLS calendar, it never works. It's really hard. And so when I got surgery, I knew I wasn't going to be able to go overseas. And so back in the old days when your contract ran out and clubs could still trade you, that's what happened. So I told the reps I wasn't coming back and Colorado came in and traded for him. Yeah. And, and uh, we, I told you Corey Gibbs would make an appearance uh, later in the podcast. He, he traded, uh, I think you and Wells and some, uh, you know, some, some picks or, you know, who knows what they traded back then uh, for Preston Burpo, who was uh, another notable alum for the Phantoms. And then Corey Gibbs, who uh, is a Brown alum, there's not many Brown alums in MLS. So, uh, kind of a small soccer world you just high five each other on the way uh on the trade block but let's talk about Colorado um you know you, you come off of a knee surgery but I mean you can't really script a better uh, first year even first second year uh at a new club talk talk a little bit about you know getting in there and getting acclimated yeah well it's funny you talk about Corey because when when I was before I was traded, I was speaking to my agent. And he was like, Colorado, I think they're in for you. Like that might be an option. And so I was like, oh, I'll call Corey. And I remember calling Corey <laughs> and be like, hey, man, what, what's happening out there? Like my agent saying I might get traded there. He's like, oh, really? Like, well, I don't know. Everything just kind of went belly up at the end of last season. Like, I don't know. And so I was like, oof, I don't know if I want to go there. And then here we are. We get traded for each other. But um, yeah, when I showed up. Gary Smith had been like the interim. He took over for, I think it was Fernando. And so, you know, the players were battling him and they did, they missed the playoffs and did the, you know, the famous training after, after the season stuff. And so when I came in, it was a team that didn't want to be there. A lot of the guys did not want to be there. And they made a few trades during preseason and it was just like, I don't know. You know how it is. Like you, when you enter a club, you don't have the demons in you, you know, you're just the guy who's coming in. Whereas everyone that's there knows what's happened. And I think it was just a fresh perspective. And our first game, we played away at Chivas and we won. And I remember the, the Rapids really celebrating that because it's the first time they've ever won a season opener away from home. And I was thinking, wow, I really got myself into an interesting club here, but, uh, <laughs> but we, 
we we somehow cobbled it together that year. We traded for Brian Mullen in September, and we went on a run, and we never looked back until we won the cup. Yeah, and he he mentions winning the cup. Uh, I was at that game. It was like freezing in uh, in Toronto. Uh, you beat Dallas, so I was happy about that. Um, <laughs> you know, you you uh, you become an all star in Colorado. Um, well, actually, let's talk about winning finally, right? Because you have three chances. You know, I think this is your fourth your fourth final in is it five years? Because uh, six. That was my sixth six year. Yeah. So your fourth, your fourth final in six years, uh, and you've had you know three where you got close, you didn't win them. I mean, it, it had to be just an absolute relief to to get it off, you know, to get that off your chest. Yeah, and I, it's funny, like I just think about Pablo because, um, yeah, I, I had lost a few, and I'd been in the the league a couple of years, but Pablo was the guy, and and he got to win it. And just like I did with Shaori, I kind of did the same with Pablo, where I was just like, how can I do the things that he doesn't want to do? And um, yeah, when we won, I was I was happy, obviously, for myself. And I love that team. But I just remember thinking, like, I'm so glad that Pablo's won this and the team has has kind of finally done it and and turned turned around a little bit. Well, you mentioned Pablo Mastroni. Um, you know, he's a quite a character uh, you've mentioned a couple of characters you've played with uh <laughs> i just you've got you know we don't go into those stories uh, uh, of this of this episode <laughs> at least and probably not probably not on this podcast uh, unfortunately but um talk to me a little bit about like the craziest thing that i think is that you in 2011 you're team mvp but you're also the golden boot winner um i mean did you ever think at any point you would be the golden boot winner for your team, uh, you know, in a major, in a professional soccer uh, world. No, I didn't. Um, 2011 was like, that was a strange year to be off the back of the, the cup. But I don't know. I, I remember that year. Um, I, I'm sure you, you know the feeling. Even if you're just playing basketball, it's like you've got a hot hand. I just felt like every time I went on the field, I was going to score. Um, and I only scored seven goals. It wasn't like I scored 25 goals, but it was just like I had that feeling. And I think playing next to Pablo helped. Like we played in a 4-4-2 and it was like, if he was going forward, I was waiting. And if I was going forward, he was waiting. And um, it just worked out. I, no, I never thought I would win a golden boot, but I'm, I'm happy to throw that on the list. <laughs> There you go. Well, we didn't we didn't put that in the opening, but uh, I think that one's pretty cool. The other important thing that happened in Colorado, um, you know, just because uh, we're married and our wives listen to these uh, intently, is you you met your wife in Colorado. So uh, shout out to to your wife. Yeah. No. I mean, 2010, I got traded. I made made the All Star team. Met my wife. Won the MLS Cup. It was a pretty awesome year. Yeah. <laughs> You met her just in time to to help you spend the bonuses that you. That you yeah, got. exactly. Well, well she, <laughs> it was it was perfect timing for her too. She just thought like this is who I was, but really I was overachieving <laughs> massively that year. <laughs> oh man! Uh, well, so then you, you talked a little bit about uh, getting being injured with the national team, um, but 
you know, you did get some, you know, you have four caps. Is it four? You have four? Something like that. There's so many I lost track. <laughs> uh, but you, you know, after your surgery, you do get called back in. You, you had experience with both Bob and with Jurgen. Um, you know, I know Jurgen had set up. Uh, well, first, you know, do you want to talk about playing for the national team? What that meant to you? I, I, I know there's a cool story about how you you refused to wear the gear as a kid because, like, you, you were going to earn it, and it's like uh, you did it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I kind of told myself like I'm never going to buy a jersey. And, you know, until they, or I'm never going to wear a Jersey until they give me one. Um, so yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Like I said, when Pam Perkins called, Pam Perkins was the, the old admin for the national team. Um, I remember where I was. I remember all of that, you know, going to training, spending a month, they give you that envelope of per diem. You're going, Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, no, playing in those games was, was great. It was it was mainly January camps for me, but um, when Jurgen came in, I I did a bit of traveling too. But um, yeah, it was it was a bit of validation, you know. Like I know the January camps are like the, the MLS camp, but I, I I still wanted to be in that, and um, you know it it's it's great. It's also disappointing sometimes. You you wish you kind of did more, but um, it's also it's also kind of overachieved massively from, from where, you know, I ever thought I could be. <laughs> well, I think you also, I mean, you're in a, you were in a stack class for, for where they were trying to, you know, versatility is great um, on some level, but at that level, it's like, they have a, seems like they have a guy in mind for a role in particular. And, and you just happen to be there with, um, you know, Michael and, and, Kyle and some really good guys as well. So um, talk to me a little bit about getting traded to Chicago or uh, how you end up in Chicago rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2012 was a weird year. I actually re-signed with Colorado. Everything was good. And then the wheels fell off, you know, just kind of disagreement with the coach. And I just got to the point where I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um and so I asked, was for that, was that Oscar? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I put my hand up and say that I was certainly, um, I don't think any of us really dealt with the the coaching change and kind of the change of, of leadership and after the cup. But I also think that Oscar was kind of new in his career and, and it just, it didn't work. And um, yeah, so I ended up, kind of asking for a trade at the end of that year, everything kind of blew up and yeah, I'd, Columbus was after me and I was like, I don't know if I can live there. And then Chicago came in <laughs> and I said, well, I'll go to, I, I'd like to go to Chicago. <laughs> and I remember asking Paul Bravo straight up. I said, I've done a lot for this club. I'd like you to please trade me to Chicago. And he did. And I thank him for that. Um, but I also, you know, it didn't, it didn't necessarily work out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you played there with, uh, you know, you got to play with Logan Paws, so another good, another great midfielder in MLS, but um, you know, he, he ends up retiring while you're there. Um, you had three coaching changes. I, I think might've had, I think he might've had more than that. It was, it was, uh, I think that was, you know, you, you kind of hinted at it a little bit that you had some tough years in Colorado, but I have to imagine that was probably like uh, the toughest, the toughest period of your career in terms of, even though you're, 
you're you're a pretty good leader there and uh, but the squad's just not not very deep. Yeah, well, you know, I went seven years making the playoffs. Like you said, first three years I went to the cup and then fifth year, whatever, or sixth year, and then 12, 13, 14, 15, I, I didn't make the playoffs. And that's that's tough, man. I mean, in a league when lots of teams make the playoffs, um, you know you're struggling. And Chicago was a struggle. It was a learning experience. I talk about being the guy who doesn't have the demons in him that comes in the locker room. Like I was that guy, but I could not, I couldn't exercise those demons. I think they still exist there, unfortunately, but um, it was, it was a tough time. And uh, yeah, the roster, you know, we weren't, we weren't the strongest, but still uh, like awesome guys, awesome locker room. You talk about Logan, um, Rolfi, like you have all these, all these MLS vets, Gonzalo, these guys that I'd seen and played against and kicked forever that I finally kind of got to, to play with. And, you know, I really enjoyed that 2000, what year was that? 13, um, watching Mike McGee win the MVP. Like I, I was really, you know, I didn't win it, but I was proud of that because that talk about an unlikely hero, you know, like that, yeah. was, that was pretty cool to be a part of. Well, I remember a couple of things, I, you know, because we're running long. I won't I won't get into all my long winded stories, but I, I remember we played you guys um, with D.C. and it was your 300th game. And um, I remember after the game, you said uh, you were you know, we I think we killed you guys and you weren't exactly thrilled. But you'd said, you know, yeah, here's I didn't think I'd get to 300, but here's to 300 more. And I remember being like that SOB is crazy. Like he's not going to make it to another 300 games like uh and then it was crazy because after i retired and i'm following from afar now i'm rooting for you and i was like this this guy this guy's <laughs> gonna do it like he might he might actually he might actually get to uh i was hoping i was like let's let's get to 600 while we're at it but um you know i'll never forget you know you saying that and and, and really that that story's cool to me because i wasn't a believer and i feel like like you said earlier, right. All you had to do is have someone tell you like, no way. Like you're not Jeff, you're not, you're not playing another hundred games, bro. Like forget 300 or 600. You're not going to make it to 400. And, you know, as we opened with the podcast, I said, you know, 500 games across all competitions. That's, that's crazy. So I, I don't know. That's, that's my best memory of you uh, with Chicago was getting to that 300 mark. That's funny because right after that game, I did an interview with a Chicago beat reporter and he jokingly was like, so Jeff, 300 games, what's next? And I said, 400. And he laughed at me. And I was like, well, that's it. Not, that's all I need. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Well, talk to me a little bit about uh, free agency, um, you know, and how you end up in paradise. Yeah, no, I, I, I was desperate to get to the galaxy. Um, a dream for me was to play there and I became a free agent and I, I knew Matt Reese, he was a coach there and I was begging him, Matt, just tell, tell them to sign me. I'll sign for minimum. Like, just get me there, get me there. And he was like, it's not going to happen. And as, as free agency goes, you know, every club works on their dream list and that takes about a month and then the dream list falls apart and then they start working on some, local high-priced guys and that falls apart and then there I am kind of sitting and they go oh well I guess we'll take him and so that was kind of how free agency went you basically sit in your house sweating 
and your wife's going, where are we going? What, what is going to happen? And you're going, I don't know. Nobody wants me. And she's like, well, why don't they want you? You know? And it's like, well, it's not that they don't want me. It's just, they want everybody else first. And then, you know, they'll come to me later. And that's kind of how it went with the galaxy, but I was so happy to get there. Yeah. And, and you know, it wasn't, um, you know, it was interesting because Bruce had this, I had this theory, right. Bruce is bringing in a lot of veterans. He always had that veteran presence. That's kind of how I looked at you going there. And I was thinking, um, you know, okay, Jeff's going there. Maybe he's going to, you know, play a year or two and then join the coaching staff and become a coach. But uh, as you know, we've got my Atlanta United Jersey behind me uh, quite wrong on, on that assumption. Um, you know, I don't want to spend any, a whole lot of time talking about uh, LA. I, I would rather get to Atlanta and, and just talk to me about how you end up in Atlanta. And, you know, are you excited about going to an expansion draft? You talk about your wife. I can't imagine she's thrilled to go from Los Angeles to Atlanta. Um, yeah. You know, you, what was, what was going through your head? Yeah. I mean, it, like LA was, it was one of those things where it was just like, this isn't going to work out. And my agent was talking to me about Atlanta and I was, and it was like August and I was like, I don't think so. You know, Atlanta, I don't know anything about it. And, and I, so the like Atlanta thing kind of died and then it, it came back and I saw all the tickets. I knew, you know, Arthur Blank obviously was the, the owner and my wife said it. She said, well, if there's one thing you haven't done in the league, it's go to an expansion team. So let's, let's try it. And, and that's kind of how we ended up there. And, and talk to me about, um, you know, are you fluent in Spanish at this point or, or, you know, talk to me a little bit. I, I love Tata. I, I, like you said, I didn't have any demons uh, coming from DC to, to Atlanta, but um, I know that those early, those early preseason uh, days were, were not fun. Um, you know, and we're still seeing, we're still seeing, you know, whether it's Atlanta or some of these other clubs, we're still seeing the ramifications of hiring um, international coaches that, that impose their will on teams. Um, you know, talk to me about how you helped, uh, you know, that transition for not only the guys, but for yourself. Yeah. I mean, the Tata was tough for sure. And he was like principled and he was unwavering and he wanted it done his way. And like, what's a CBA, you know, I've never heard of that before. Um, and so the, the veteran guys, myself, Barky, you know, we kind of had to deal with the locker room. I think that we had to swallow a lot of pride because a lot of the big players were international guys, South American guys, and they were backed by the coach. And so there was a strong kind of contingent that we had to deal with, but um, it, it was made easy by the excitement. You know, it, it was kind of like, do I really want to fight this? Like, I know I need to fight this because we haven't had an off day in 25 days, but this is kind of what you play for. Um, and, you know, 2017 was, it was just, it was just so much fun. And, and um Tata was like a dream to play for. It was, it was not only did it, my Spanish get better, but I learned so much about the game. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, you, you know, you had a ton of success in Atlanta. Uh, you became a household name, although, you know, uh, we have a Larry, you know, we could, I have, I have a thing about your nickname, so I don't want to get to that, but you won an MLS cup there. It's your second MLS cup. We said great things happen to you in twos. Uh, you won another open cup. Um, you know, you won the Campionis cup. Uh, where does Atlanta rank 
you know, you've had some, some really wonderful experiences in terms of, uh, you know, great memories, you know, at all levels, right. I mean, from high school, uh, club soccer, all the way up. Um, a lot of people underestimate the, the power of memories of that professional soccer players had as kids, you know, how, how those mm-hmm. memories hold over college. Um, mm-hmm. you know, wh- where does Atlanta rank, you know, um, in your, in your book? It's, it's up there. It's up there. I mean, I consider getting the opportunity to play for some of the coaches in my career as the, the best parts of my career, Tata for sure. Um, and Bob, you know, when you play on a championship team, um, you know, I had, like I said, great locker rooms in Chicago, but you go and see those guys and it's great. But when you go and see somebody that you won something with after not seeing them, it's different, you know, it's just a different thing. And whether you're a kid, like you said, winning a state cup or an adult winning MLS cup, um, it's just kind of special. And that's what, what Atlanta was. And it was that unique experience. Like I said, you know, my wife was like, you never were on a, an expansion team. Um, and you know, what an expansion team to be on. Yeah, no, it was, it, I think I was there, uh, you know, I joke about you playing one minute, um, in your first year, but I think I played seven minutes, but it was, it's, it's up there for me and my, uh, my memories just being, being a part of that, uh, that excitement, like you said earlier, um, let's, let's go a little more serious. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't normally get in a lot of MLS PA stuff with guys, but I, I think you are the most important guy, in my opinion, uh, to the PA in my time. Um, and I was very vocal about that, uh, when we were part of the, the PA together. Uh, you went through four different negotiations, um, you know, really five, uh, but you were four in terms of your executive committee or being an important member of that. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what you're proud of in terms of what you've achieved and, and what you helped. Uh, you know, when I say you, I feel like you represented the players better than anyone and that you were able to look outside of, of yourself. Most of these guys, they always say, how does this affect me? Uh, you were great at saying this is this is the whole right. We got to look at the whole, and you knew that you knew your stuff. Um, what are you proud of? Uh, you know that you you maybe don't talk to a lot of people about in terms of your your time with the PA. Well, first of all, I appreciate that, Bob. That means a lot. Um, yeah, I you know I don't I never really thought about it while I was doing it, but it, it became a lot clearer as I got older, and you know the 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 PA is is really about legacy, you know, and not about your legacy, but what are you leaving for the guys after you, you know, where it's just kind of like a, a chain that takes over after you go and you want them to be at a better spot than before. I mean, it was, it was so easy to get involved as a young player because of what we made. And um, like I said, you know, I played out my contract and still had to wait to get traded and had no control over my career. It's just like, well, what, why, why don't I have that? You know, I always had that curiosity and that was kind of the start of it. And then once I got into it, uh, you know, a lot of it just didn't really make sense to me. You know, it wasn't logical. And I wanted to figure out how to one, make it, make it so that no one else had to go through it. But I, I really enjoyed the challenge and I loved interacting with, with, you know, the guys from around the league. Um, and so, you know, in the end, I, I'm so proud of what we signed before COVID. Obviously, COVID changed the world, but um, 
from where we were, you and I in 2015 and then 20, 2010, 20, you know, it, it was a different spot. And now um, where, where the league's gotten to and where the players have gotten to, I'm really proud of that legacy. Yeah. And, and what I tell people is there's two things that happen now that I'm, I'm proud of, right. Is, is there's, I meet people that don't believe I played professional soccer in MLS, right. Uh, meaning the league has gotten better, more athletic. Uh, the product is better. When I go play pickup soccer, people don't, they just don't think I'm like, there's no way that you played professional soccer, which maybe is an insult to me, but I think it means they have a different expectation of the league. And then I think when people hear about the contracts, these guys are signing, um, you know, and I don't mean the superstars, I just mean, nor, you know, the, the average players, they say, wow, I, I didn't think he was that good. Um, but they don't realize that's kind of the new norm. Um, that's the, the baseline that we've moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so for me, those are the, the big compliments and, um, you know, I, we, we don't get into a lot of, a lot of this stuff on here. I think the biggest thing is people realize they don't realize is how many sacrifices guys made. Like you said, sitting there waiting with a wife saying, where are we going? You're like, I have no clue. Like, let's throw a dart. It's just as accurate as maybe what's going to happen. Um, yeah. we, we bring some light to that, but it's good to have uh, a guy with your experience on to, to, you know, talk a little bit about that. So that's the serious stuff. Um, you know, I, I, when I originally was getting ready for this, I wrote the MLS players union because that's how old <laughs> we are. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're back, uh, back before then, uh, you know, as a guy that played, you know, as long as you did, I always said you were an old soul, but that kind of sounds wrong. Cause you were a fun soul. It wasn't like a, you know, like an old boring guy, but, uh, you know, what, was there a period or a, a moment where you realized you were the old guy? Um, you know, is there anything that sticks out? Yeah. When I was in Chicago and my son was born. That was and, it, huh? Yeah. And, you know, I always loved um, the beginning of the year when the when the rookies came from college. And it was just like, all right, let's see what kind of characters we've got here, you know? <laughs> and I always, I always attached to those guys just because I related, you know? I, I went through what they went through. And when I remember I, I missed a, a league game for my son's birth and um, – I remember sending a picture to the team and saying good luck. And, and I was like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm sending a picture of my son to like these kids. Right <laughs> <laughs> and then it just got worse when I got to Atlanta and I realized, Oh my God, Andrew Carlton's closer to my son's age than he is to my age. <laughs> yeah. No, my, mine was uh, Colin Martin. I, I, I used to give him a ride to college after practice. And uh, he said, Oh, we saw a white Bronco and I said, check out that white Bronco. And he said, Oh man, I watched this documentary about this football player that killed his wife. <laughs> and he said, and he was driving through LA and uh, there were people like all over the road. It was crazy. And I was like, are you talking, are you talking about OJ? And he's like, you've heard of this guy. And I said, yeah. He's like, did you watch the documentary? And I was like, what are you talking about? That, that, I call that my, that was my Pat Onstad moment where I was like, um, I'm, an, I'm an old guy, but, um, you know, the last, the last, uh, two things I'll get into was, uh, you know, I bring up you being an old guy, but you were always a, a prankster and, and you were always the, I call it the silent assassin. You were the guy that, that just kind of egged the guys on and then would sit back and just kind of let, let the mayhem go. And I'd say my one regret, 
my one regret in Atlanta was uh, I had tried to prank the, the British guys and you, you put an end to it because it was, you were worried that Tata, and it was probably like, that's, that's you and me, right? Like you're, oh, the, good I professional. That. Yeah. you're the good professional and, and I'm not, but I, I, at the end, I didn't end up playing ever. So I was like, I should have, I was going to douse them with water, but you didn't stop those same British guys from putting tiger bomb <laughs> in my soap. Uh, when I took a shower. So uh, for those listening, you know, Jeff, although he appears to be a good friend, occasionally um, he, he's been known to let pranks go. And, and he says he wasn't a part of it, but uh, they seem I, to. No, I wasn't a part of it, but Bob, I mean, BY, BYOS, you were the only guy who brought his own soap, you know, like I'd, I'd never seen that before. A lot of people just say, oh, I'll get the prison soap that they put in the squeegee machines. But no, you brought your own soap. I was I thought that was pretty neat. We got you got to realize I came from D.C. and Houston where they didn't they didn't provide it. Oh, so, so. Yeah, you didn't get the prison soap. You had no soap. Well, let's let's talk about uh, what you're doing now. Um, you know, I know you did a little gardening. I, I think I see that uh, you've done some broadcasting. Um, yeah. you know, you did a, I think you went to a Harvard business school program. I don't know if you did that while you were still playing or you did it afterwards, but, um, you know, people, it, it's hard to follow you on social media cause you don't have a, any social media presence, at least no, you have a burner account. No one knows what the name <laughs> is, but you know, how, how, you know, tell the people of the world, um, that are fans of, of Jeff, you know, what, what, what are you up to these days? Yeah, no, I, I, I did the, after I uh, graduated, after I retired, um, I did that, I did that Harvard class for a few months. And, you know, I was trying to figure out whether I was going to keep playing or not. Um, and yeah, no, called it, called it a day. I've stayed around the game. Like you said, I did some broad, I've been doing some broadcasting, doing some um, USL games. I did one first team game. Um, I'm staying around the game though. You know, I'm, I'm doing a coaching course right now. Um, I'm working with an analytics company and, you know, I had the opportunity to kind of fully step away much like you. And I don't know, you know, it's like that old Sopranos, just when I thought I was out, they keep pulling me back in, you know, I just kind of, I couldn't, I couldn't do it yet. Yeah. I might get there, but for right now I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying still being around the game. Well, uh, I don't, I, I'm going to say this for you and I don't want a response. Uh, Atlanta, uh, they seem to be in need of, uh, of some <laughs> coaching help. Uh, so, you know, just know that Jeff is still in Atlanta. Uh, if you're listening, Atlanta front office, uh, just some throwing that out there. Um, but Jeff, this is, this has been awesome, man. I know you don't, uh, you don't normally, uh, like being in front of the camera or on the mic. Um, but I can't thank you enough for one, your service to the league. Uh, you know, more importantly for me, your service to the PA and uh, now your service to this podcast. I'm sure it'll be a huge hit, um, you know, because you are a legend, you know, both on and off the field and not just uh, the fans mind, but all the players mind that played with you. So thank you so much. And uh, as we said in Atlanta, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> be seeing you. Thanks, Bob. Hey, I got to say, man, I watch these shows. I think you do a great job. I I'm so glad you do this because people need to hear these stories. People need to get to know these guys. And I think you sell yourself short with the whole like men's league thing. People don't think I played. The only difference now is guys are making more money. And that's because of you and I, you know, the players are the same. If you and I were rookies today, it would be the same. We'd find a way to win. And uh, it was it was fun to play against you all those years. And I'm glad we were teammates at the end there. Well, that means a lot, Jeff. I appreciate it, buddy.
All right. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at MLSplayers.org.